Hey there, Pastor Mark here. It's our prayer that this message would encourage and equip you in your relationship with Jesus. We're able to provide this content due to the joyful generosity of our financial partners. And if you'd be willing to join that tribe and help get some sermons like this around the world, you can donate at harvestbaptist.info slash give. God bless. Acts chapter number 18, Pastor Mark texted me this morning and he said, hey, I'm, preach, or I'm praying for you as you preach this morning. I was so tempted to just be like, that's this week, uh, but I didn't. I knew he was on vacation, so I figured I would, uh, I didn't want to raise his blood pressure. <laughs> Acts chapter number 18, can I start off by asking you a question? Hey, where does God have you this morning? Where's God have you? Where has he planted you this morning? You say, Harvest Baptist Church, I'm in the second service. Hurry up, I want to go to Longhorn. No, no, no. <laughs> what season of life does he have you in? I realize there's a, there's a large crowd and you have sort of different backgrounds here and different situations right now. Some are in a sorrowful season. Some are in a season of blessings. Some are in a season of frustration. And can I just remind you uh, that God knows where you're at. And that this morning, I hope to, I, I don't want you to, to really get something from me. I want you to get something from the Bible. I have something at the top of all my sermons, especially when I, I get to uh, preach to people. And it's, Dave, they don't need to hear from you. They need to hear from the Lord. And so I hope that this morning you would have a heart open to kind of just see what the Lord has in store this morning. So Acts chapter number 18, I have said that four times now, but now we're gonna jump into it, okay? Acts chapter number 18, and, you, and look at verse number nine. <clears throat> the Bible says, then spake the Lord to Paul, in the night by a vision. Hey, stop right there for a second. This is a unique situation right here. God speaking to Paul through a vision. He's directly communicating with Paul. This is a unique situation, isn't it? It kind of perks our ears up and for, for us to think, all right, what is God gonna say to Paul? He's not just, he, he's not just uh, uh, sort of talking to Paul through prayer. This is a vision that God gave to Paul. What is he going to say? In other words, what, is, what, is, what does God have for Paul for where, he ha, for where he has Paul right now? What message is he gonna give to Paul? I think, I think, number one, this is a timely message. This is a timely message. You ever received a timely message before? I think many of us would know what it would be like to receive that text that, at just the right time that said, hey, I'm praying for you. We know what that feels like. I, we, we know, uh, I think many of us would know what it's like to, you know, new year, we're gonna, we're going to, uh, we're gonna go to the gym. I'm gonna get fit. I mean, I have this every single year and it doesn't make it past February, but I'm gonna get fit. I'm gonna join a gym. Planet Fitness has taken $10 a month for the last three years and I have not paid for it. I, I did not deserve, I, I really overpaid. But anyhow, that's... Uh, Listen, you go to the gym, you wanna work out, you wanna get fit, I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna change the way I diet. It happens every year. We, with most of us, those of you who are like super over the top, all right, step aside, okay? The, those of us who are normal, we, we don't carry through with it very long, right? What happens? Uh, it, we, we quit on it because we wake up early in the morning. This is the routine. We wake up early in the morning, we get out of bed, it's dark out, it's cold. We go to the gym, we work out, we're tired, we're cranky. People are way too nice in the morning. We work out. You go to work, you're tired. Muscles you didn't even know you had are sore. Like I didn't know I have a muscle like connecting here, but it's sore. You, you eat lunch. And even after you eat lunch, that diet lunch, diet centered lunch, you're still hungry. So you're kind of mad, you're hangry. 
And then what happens? You go to bed, you're tired, you wake up, the alarm goes off, you wake up, you go to the gym, you're tired, you're sore, it's dark out, people are too happy. And this, this process happens over and over and over again. But what happens if you stick with it for more than a month? Usually what happens is someone says something along the lines of this. Hey, you look good. Have you been working out? Right? Those of you who are shaking your head, no, that's never happened. It's probably because you didn't make it to that one month. <laughs> but... That's what happens when you receive that, that, that message, that comment from someone, what does that do? That, I mean, that makes you want to keep working out. Like, hey, I'm going to go to the gym extra early tomorrow. And it's, there, there's just something different about going about my day today than there was yesterday, right? And so here in, in Acts chapter number 18, we learn that, that God's giving Paul this vision. He's given, he's given Paul this vision. And we know that this is a timely message from God a timely message, a message that Paul gets and it no doubt encourages Paul for where he's at. Would you look at it? Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Here's what he says. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace for I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee for I have much people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Hey, this is a unique conversation God gave Paul. It's, it's unique, but it's not the only time God directly spoke to Paul. Six times in the apostle Paul's life, God gave Paul a direct message. You remember Acts chapter number nine? Saul then, that was his name then. He, he's on the road to Damascus. He's persecuting Christians. He's seeing Christians, but he's dragging Christians out and sending them to jail. He was at the stoning of Stephen's death. And what happens, God, uh, Paul's on the, Saul's on the way to Damascus and Jesus sort of intervenes and he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That's a unique situation. You remember in Acts chapter number 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's with Silas. And the Bible says that Paul desired to go to Asia, but the Holy Ghost forbade him not. In other words, God shut the door in his face. And then the Bible says that he tried going to Bithynia and the, and, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit said, no, no again. And by the way, can I make a side comment here? I'm thankful when I read stories like that in the Bible that says that God even shut doors in the face of the apostle Paul himself. Because sometimes doors getting slammed in our face aren't the most fun thing. God, give me this. God, I wanna do this for you. Nope, not right now. And I'm thankful knowing that, hey, door closings, door, doors closing on our face are just as much God leading as whenever he opens a door. Do you know that? Sometimes we, we, we look at God's yeses like, that's God leading me. And then when he says no, it's like, God, why aren't you leading me? How, why are, what we're saying is, why aren't you leading me how I wanna be led? Why aren't you opening this door? Why aren't you letting me go forth? Anyhow, Acts chapter number 18, what has happened so far is Paul's on his second missionary journey. I wanna give you a little bit of background. In our Bible class, we always say context is key, right? When we open up to a place in the Bible, we wanna say, what has happened? What is happening here? Paul is in the city of Corinth. You know Corinth, First and Second Corinthians, the letters that Paul wrote years later. But he's in Corinth. And what has happened before that is he's on his second missionary journey. He's with Silas and he has just gone. Remember Acts chapter number 17, he has gone through Thessalonica, Thessalonians, he has gone through uh, Berea. He is, and then he went to Athens at the end of the chapter. He went to the city of Athens. And it was there, remember, he sees the, the, the idol there with the inscription, to the unknown God. And Paul gets stirred in the spirit and he preaches this message to these people. And he says, hey, you guys think that God could be made with man's hands, that it's, that it's some gold figure or gold idol? Let me tell you, that's not God. God is the creator. He's the creator. You're the creature. And God created all the, from, from, from the foundations of the world, God created everything. 
That's who God is. And he preaches this wonderful message and people get saved. People also opposed him as often as it happened often in Paul's life, but people get saved. People want to follow, follow him. And now, and look at verse number one, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. So he's in Corinth now. And in Corinth, he meets, he meets two people, a couple, Aquila and Priscilla. We know Aquila and Priscilla. Remember, their, 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 uh, their ministry really was to help, they, they, they helped Apollos out. The man that was preaching about, uh, was preaching God, but he didn't know much more past John the Baptist, the baptism of John. And so they brought Apollos in and they, they discipled him and they taught him all things. They, they, they helped him have a fuller understanding. But Aquila and Priscilla, they were there in Corinth. And Paul, he goes to the synagogue as was his custom in Corinth, these couple of verses earlier. And he goes to the synagogue and he teaches about Christ. And the Bible says he had mixed, a mixed response. That's, it was common. He had a mixed response. Some people uh, uh, wanted to cause an uproar and some people clung to him. Yes, Paul, keep teaching, keep preaching. And now we come to Acts chapter number 18 and verse number nine. And the Bible says that God's given this vision to Paul. He's given him this, this unique direct communication with Paul and he's doing it for a reason. He's doing it because he wants Paul to know something. And I think it's important to ask, hey, what did what did God want Paul to know in this season of life? Can I ask you? I start off by asking, where does God have you? What season of life does God have you in? Hey, I think this morning we can see from this, this passage some principles that we can hang on to to help us know, hey, what does God want me to know where I'm at? Title of my message, you see it, four principles for living where God has planted you. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for this opportunity to bring your word. And I pray, Lord, I understand there are uh, people with uh, sort of a different, in different circumstances, if you would. And I pray that we would just grab on to some eternal truths about you, that we would be reminded that you are a God that's aware of everything, whether we're in seasons that are unwanted or seasons that are full of blessings, Lord. I pray that we would just all want to draw closer to you this morning, that we would have a stronger love for you and a stronger love for people. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, bless this message in Jesus' name. Amen. I think five principles, to, or I'm sorry, four principles to, to live where God has planted you. Uh, number one, I want you to know, hey, God has, perp God has a purpose for where he has planted you. I want you to say that with me, would you? God has a purpose for where he has planted you. For planted me, right? He has a purpose for where you're at. He said, Dave, I'm in a hospital room four days a week. I know. And while you're there, he has a purpose for you. Dave, I, I, I'm at home with kids all day long. I know, God has a purpose for you there. Dave, I'm at a mundane job. I'm looking for another job. I put applications in all the time. I, okay, that might be the case, but God has got a purpose for you while you're still there. Right? Why is this important to know? Because so, so, so often we kind of, our, our lives become white noise where we don't think there's anything special, anything significant about where God has us. We play this game of God, just put me somewhere else and I'll be on fire for you. I've been helping with the, with the youth group for 10 years and I see this all the time. 
This, 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 this motion that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a teenager. I just need to wait until I graduate. I just need to wait till I get to college. I just need to wait till I start making my own money and doing my own thing. And I'm always telling them, no, God's got a purpose for where you are. You're, don't, don't, don't wish away this life stage. Don't, don't wish away where you're at right now. And so often we look at our, our lives and we, and we think, man, God, this is just this. There, there can't be anything special about being here. There can't be anything special about being at this job. There can't be anything special about waking up and driving the kids to school every day and being, but, but, but there is. And he has a purpose for where he has you. That was his message to Paul. Paul, I know you're, I know, I know you're getting some opposition, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay here. I think God's message to Paul, we read it a minute ago, but I think you could sum it up like this. Paul, there's a job. Paul, you're my guy. Don't be afraid, Paul. I'm with you. Paul, stay put. Stay put. If you look at verse number 11, it says, and he, Paul, continued there a year in six months, teaching the word of God among them. Hey, God has a purpose for where he's planted you. And you see this all throughout scripture. This is a pattern that we see. Uh, God creates from, from, from the very beginning of Genesis, God creates, creates everything. And then in creating everything, he creates a place called Eden. And he says, Adam, here, I'm gonna put you in the garden and I have a job for you to do while you're here. We see that there. We see God says, hey, Noah, I'm gonna bring judgment to the world and I have a job for you to do. Come here and build this. Build it to these specs. I love how specific God is sometimes too, don't you? Hey, build it to this length, build it to this, this height, build it with gopher wood. God says, hey, Abraham, I'm gonna create a nation and I'm gonna bless the world through a nation and you're gonna be my guy. Hey, God says, hey, I have a place. I'm taking you. I'm planning you here for this season and I have a purpose for where you're at. We need to be reminded of that. God's got a purpose for where we are. <clears throat> Two reasons why do we need to know this. Hey, because we don't want to, we, we, we are people who want to be anywhere else doing anything else, don't we? Just give me something different. Give me a better job, God. Job, I, or God, I thought, I thought retirement was gonna be a lot more fun and it's not. Give me, give me a part-time job. Give me something different. Give me a house in Florida on the beach, right? It's important to know this because we wanna be somewhere else doing anything else. <clears throat> I think we also need to know this because like I said, we don't, want to, we don't see anything significant about where God has us. But this is where, if, if, if where I am is where God has me, then it must be important to him. <clears throat> I, uh, I, I wrote down, uh, I was thinking through this and, and you really see God saying, Paul, I'm gonna keep you in Corinth and I have a purpose for you here. And really what he's saying is, Paul, I want you to bloom where I planted you. I don't want you just to exist. I don't want you just to, I don't want you just living here just for 18 months, just living, just doing nothing at the end of 18 months, not having anything to, to, uh, of, your, of, of your life to be really anything spectacular. No, Paul, I, I, I want you to know that I'm putting you in Corinth and I want you to bloom where I've planted you. I realize some places you don't wanna bloom. Some places you're like, God, plant me somewhere else and I'll bloom there. I'm reminded of uh, the maniac of Gadara. You guys remember that story? Jesus does this great miracle on this man and afterwards, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, take me with you. What's Jesus do? Does he say, sure, come on, jump on the ship. You can come with me and my disciples. Nope. 
He says, no, 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 no. You're gonna stay here. I want you to go back to town and I want you to tell people about what I did. You're planted here. That's what he's saying. I know you wanna come, I know you wanna come with me and how, who wouldn't wanna go with Jesus? I mean, it's Jesus and it's his disciples. Put me on that team. He says, no, stay here. Tell people about me. <clears throat> I wrote down uh, three laws of blooming where you're planted. If you want to bloom where God, ha- where God has you, then I think you need to do these three things. Number one, I, w- I think you need to trust the planter. Trust the planter, capital P, by the way. That where you're at isn't an accident. Where you're at isn't because a couple things happened and it sort of just fell into this. Where you're at, you can trust that God has planted you there for the season, for a season at least. He tells the maniac of Gadara, stay here. I'm planting you here. The woman at the well, she gets saved in John chapter number four and she goes back to her city and she makes an impact there. God uses people to reach people. We see it all throughout scripture. And there's people in our lives, my life and in your life. And I don't, my circle of friends or my circle of, uh, of people, some of them aren't friends, right? My, my circle isn't your circle. Your circle is not the person over here's circle. We all have sort of this different circle of influence. And it's important to know that we can trust the planter. You must trust the planter. If you don't, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna be upset. You're gonna be wrestling with God. God, put me somewhere else. God, I don't wanna be planted here. I don't wanna bloom here. This isn't the season I wanted. This isn't how I, this wasn't in my five-year plan. God says, no, listen, I have you here. And while you're here, I want you to bloom for me. You think of, the life of Joseph there, don't you? I can't help but think of Joseph's life. Joseph, I, I tell my Bible class, they probably get sick of hearing it, but I tell them all the time, Joseph's like my favorite character in the Bible. If you could say that about Jesus and then Joseph, okay? But Joseph's my favorite Bible character because his life's so relatable. It's got ups and it's got downs, ups and downs. Hey, Joseph, uh, you're sold into slavery. You did nothing wrong, but you're sold into slavery. Joseph, you're second in command of, of, of Potiphar's house. Oh, that's, that's great. I made it. Uh, now you get accused. You're in prison for two years, forgotten. Ah, that's down. Joseph, hey, you're, you're in prison, but now, hey, Pharaoh had a dream. Come, interpret the dream. And now you're second in command of, of all. And through it all, the Bible keeps making this small statement. And you know it. What's the statement? The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph at the end of his life in Genesis chapter number 50, his, 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 his father dies after spending 17 years with his brothers in Egypt. His father dies and his brothers are like, oh no, okay, dad just died. Joseph only forgave us because dad was alive. Now that dad died, he's not gonna forgive us anymore. And what's Joseph do? He says, guys, 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 listen, you thought that everything that happened, listen, everything that happened was for a reason. God planted me here for a bigger purpose. And Joseph got it at the end of his life. He understood that, that man, looking back, I can, and it's so much, I get it. It's so much easier looking back in your life to see God working than it is to say, be in the current situation and say, what's God doing? I understand that's kind of difficult, but we can trust the planter in any circumstance. We can trust the one who's planted me where I'm at. I might not want to be here. I might not be here long, but I can trust that God has me here and that he has me for a reason. Trust the planter. I think that's one thing you need to do. Number two, I think what you must do is you must accept what's there. You must accept what's there or what's around you because that's frustrating. 
I think about Exodus chapter, uh, uh, the, the chapter wherever the 10 commandments were there. And God says, um, the last one was do not covet. Don't covet the neighbor's wife or the neighbor's house or the neighbor's cattle, their finances, their wealth. Don't covet that. And what's God saying? God's saying, hey, I didn't give that to you. Accept what's around you. I gave you this. Be, be content with what I've given you. We need to accept what's there. Remember in Jeremiah, we know the, the Bible first for I have the, for, for uh, I'm gonna read it so I don't forget. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, right? We, we memorize this verse. We love this verse. What happens a couple of verses before this though? In verse number four, God says, Jeremiah, I want you to tell him something. So Jeremiah goes to them and he says, guys, you're in captivity. God told you judgment was coming and now, now, you're, now you're being taken away to captivity. And for 70 years, you're gonna be in captivity. You're not gonna be in your home, your home nation, worshiping God at the temple. It's no longer there. That's not an option. You need to accept what's around you. And what's he say? He's like, I want you to, while you're here, build houses. While you're here, plant vineyards. While you're here, have a family, raise your kids. Hey, live where you're at, accept what's around you, accept the circumstances. You think the captives were wishing they were back in their homes? Yes. But God says, hey, accept what's around you. Live, accept what's around you. I think thirdly, uh, not only must you accept what's around you, but you must accept what's not there. Paul, you're in Corinth, Paul. You know what's not in Corinth? A problem-free ministry. Perfect circumstances. Paul, you know what's not in Corinth? You know what's not in Corinth? Uh, just uh, uh, everybody loving Paul. We need to trust the planter. We need to accept what's there, but also accept what's not there. Because those things, those things make us uh, uh, restless and make us, not, I'm not saying that uh, you shouldn't ever want anything better. You know, I'm living in a house and it's got six broken windows. Should I just accept what's there? Well, no, fix your windows. But what I am saying is as a certain circumstances, you can't change. And instead of wrestling with God and arguing with God, God changes, God changes, God changes. I think God's saying, Paul, you're in Corinth, accept what's there. I want you, I'm planning you here for a reason. <clears throat> All right. Remember Ezekiel, right? Dave, God, God's got me planted somewhere I don't want to be. You remember Ezekiel? Uh, we just went over this in Bible class. Uh, Delaney's like, stop looking at me. Lucas, Luca, we just went over this in Bible class. Ezekiel chapter number one, what happens? They're, they were asking questions like, Ezekiel, it's sort of hard to understand. There's a lot of visions or something. Like, what's going on? So we walked through a little bit of it, but uh, it, we just wanted to kind of make the Bible uh, like, hey, dig into it. I'm always telling them, dig. You'll be excited when you, whenever you dig. It's like whenever you go to a, a, a flea market or a garage sale, you walk into the garage and if you just walk around and not do anything, like just, eh, there's that, there's that, you're not going to find anything good because everybody else is doing that. But when you start digging, that's when you find like, oh, this rusted pipe, I needed this. Uh, this is worth $5 on eBay. I just looked it up. Yeah. We all think we're American pickers. We're not. <laughs> but remember Ezekiel, chapter number one in Ezekiel, God said, the, the Bible says that in the 30th year, I saw the captives along the river. What, what, what does that mean? What, Ezekiel's 30 years old. He's 30 years old and he's watching the people of God, the people that God called him to, he's watching them being taken away captive. And God says, uh, if you turn to it, Ezekiel chapter number three,
Ezekiel chapter number three. And he, God, look at verse number four. And he, God said unto me, son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. What's God saying? Hey, Ezekiel, I got a message I want you to deliver. Look at verse number seven. God, when I speak, what's going to happen? Well, he tells him, but the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee for they will not hearken unto me for all the house of Israel are impudent and hard hearted. God says, Ezekiel, I have a job for you. I want you to go. I want you to go speak to these captives, but guess what? They're not going to listen. I have a feeling Ezekiel knows what it's like to teach a seventh and eighth grade Bible class. What am I saying? I'm saying, hey, sometimes God gives, he plants us in undesirable circumstances for a season. I can't imagine being Ezekiel there. Ezekiel, I got a job. Yes, God gave me a job. What's the job, God? I want you to go speak to Israel, but they're not gonna listen to anything you say. Do you have, see if something else? (laughs) What's coming down the pipeline, God? Hey, trust the planter, accept what's there, accept what's not there. And God gives this vision of Paul. He says, Paul, I have you in Corinth and I have you in Corinth for a reason. There's a purpose for why you're here. Uh, and after he tells him, hey, there's this purpose. I want you to speak. I want you to, be a, I want you to be this man here in this city for this time. What does he tell him then? I think uh, God's vision of Paul instructs Paul to stay where he is, but then he gives him three things to do while he's there. He gets practical with him. I'm thankful that, that uh, I'm, I like practicality. It's like in the, in, the, in the math books when you were in school, I like looking at the examples. <laughs> Give me an example and then I'll be able to know how to do it. God, God tells him, hey, I want you to get practical with this. All right, well, what are they? What, what, what three things do you want me to get practical? I know, God, I know, I get it now. I'm, I'm where I am for a reason. There's a purpose. But now what do I do? How do I bloom where I'm planted? I know I, I, I want to do that. It's in my heart. I want to be, I, I, I want to be living my best life for you. But How? How do I bloom where I planted? I think you'll see it. Number one, look at verse number nine. He says, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Did you catch that? God tells Paul, Paul, where I've planted you, be a mouthpiece. I want you to be a mouthpiece, Paul. I want you to tell people, Paul, someone's got to teach them. Paul, someone's got to say something. Someone's got to preach. Someone's got to live. Someone's got to disciple. God says, hey, I want you to speak. I want you to tell them. Don't hold back. Hey, in our lives, wherever, can I say this? Wherever you are, whether it's desirable, not desirable, good circumstances, bad circumstances, good season, season that's unwinding. Hey, God wants you to be a mouthpiece where he has you. He wants you to be a mouthpiece where he has you. He tells Paul, Paul, speak. I think in Romans 10, 14, when it comes to witnessing, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? What's it saying? Hey, someone's got to open their mouth. Someone's got to say something. I know it's uncomfortable, but you got to tell. You got to tell. That was, that was God's message to Paul. Hey, we get this concept. Actually, we, were, we root for this concept of mouthpiece, not in our own lives. Like, God, don't give me an opportunity. And when the opportunity is on our lap, it's like, oh, maybe next time, God, right? We, we sort of chicken out. I've, I've been there before. But we get this concept of being a mouthpiece. We, lo- we actually really root for it. March Madness fans in here, anybody? Yeah, 
All right, a few. I th- really? March Madness? Okay. There's a few. There's three. All right, any sport. Put any sport in your mind. You say, I don't like sports. You're no fun. Any sport, put any sport in your mind. What happens after the guy hits a buzzer beater shot? And whenever he goes to the camera and they say, hey, uh, you know, how, 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 what, what was going through your mind whenever you were, you were shooting that shot? And what happens whenever he says, hey, first, I just want to give all glory to God. What happens? To, like, we're rooting for that. Like, that gets us excited. I don't know about you, but when I hear young guys, in the, like, at the peak of their careers, saying something about God, taking the moment, they, first of all, they ignored the question, but when they, when, when they open their mouth and they use that to speak and to be a mouthpiece, that excites us. Like, we, we root for that. Like, yes, go, man. He's being a mouthpiece. Here in Corinth, God says, Paul, speak, speak up. God wants us to be a mouthpiece. Maniac, Maniac of Gadara, I know you want to come, but go back to your hometown and don't say anything to anyone. No, he says, go back and speak. Tell them about me. Tell them about me. I read a book in college on personal evangelism. And at the end of the book, he got practical. As I said, I like practicality. But he got practical and he said, uh, he listed four, he, he called it four encouragements to evangelize. Just to, the, the book talked about just some practical uses on how to share your faith. And, and I enjoyed it. It was, it was a good book. But these four things I want to list for you. Uh, how to encourage and evangelize. Ask for testimonies. In other words, talk about your testimonies. Hey, you want to become a mouthpiece of God. Hey, what do you talk about with, with people around you at your workplace? Hey, keep that communication line open. Don't, don't, don't be slow to, to talk about your testimonies and talk about your family and your church and what God's doing in your life. You think, well, they don't want to hear it. Someone's got to tell them. But I'm sure everybody else in the room is sick of talking about politics. Talk about testimonies. Number two, he says, consider the reality of hell. You want to be encouraged to evangelize or to talk about your faith? Consider the realities of hell. Hell's a real place. Hey, and we're all, we're, we're all deserving of hell. The Bible says if you've sinned, then, 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 then you've broken relationship with, with God and that you deserve an eternity in hell because God's perfect and he can't, he, he can't be with sin. And so we, we, we understand that penalized, but have you ever really thought of, we think about the, the glorious time in heaven that we're going to have, and it's going to be awesome. Something that we can't even comprehend. But have you considered the realities of hell? Have you considered that there's people that are dying and going to hell for an eternity? I said an eternity. Not five years, not a 10 year sentence, not a hundred year sentence, not a thousand year sentence, an eternity. Say, so, hey, you want to stir yourself up? You've, you've sort of become, you know, sealed-lipped when it comes to talking about your faith. You want to stir yourself up? Consider the realities of hell. The book goes on. And the third one was uh, uh, consider God's sovereignty. And I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting one. What's it mean by that? Consider God's sovereignty. And he went on and he said, hey, consider the fact that you are around the people that you are around. God has brought you around those people for such a time like as this, right? You think about Esther, that, 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 that God's sovereignty led me, that, that there's purpose. What's it saying? There's purpose for where I'm at. There's purpose for who I'm, who I'm around. And then fourthly, 
Consider the cross. Consider what Jesus went through on the cross. There's an excerpt that I want to read, uh, just a portion of it. But it says, to think him, God, loving us to the extent that he has in Christ, this is truly amazing. On the cross, Christ showed us the extent of God's love. Would you know its height and breadth and depth and length? Then look at Christ's arms outreached on the cross. Hey, sometimes we, sometimes we don't meditate on that truth enough. Good Friday, yeah, Easter, yeah. But man, everyday life, probably not. But when you sit back, you wanna stir yourself up to speak and to be a mouthpiece and to wanna speak, he says, hey, consider the realities of hell, consider God's sovereignty, but also consider the cross. Consider that love. Who wouldn't wanna share that love? Who wouldn't wanna tell someone, hey, Jesus did this for, for us. He died on the cross for our sins. <clears throat> so he says, uh, hey, number one, Paul, be a mouthpiece while you're there. What else did he tell him to get practical with? I, number, num number two, hey, Paul, be not afraid. Paul, you're in this place, you're, you're here for a reason, you have a purpose, I want you to speak. But he also tells Paul, Paul, don't be afraid. Look at it, verse number nine, the very first phrase, it says, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, be not afraid. It's interesting, isn't it? Why would God tell Paul not to be afraid? I think there's two possibilities. God's telling Paul, hey, don't be afraid. It's like, well, there's persecution happening. He's like, no, don't be afraid. Why would he say that? I think two possibilities, number one, uh, remember in the Bible, these circumstances, whatever, God shows up and his holy presence caused people to fear. That, ah, I can't be in the presence of a holy God. I don't think it's speaking about that kind of don't be afraid. I think it's speaking more of the, the lines of, hey, Paul, don't fear the persecution for the message that you're preaching. Paul, have some courage. Paul, don't be afraid in this time. You know what that does for us? I mean, if anyone knows what fear is like, it's the apostle Paul. I mean, the guy, uh, he was stoned and he was beaten and thrown in prison. And it's like, be not afraid, really? You remember in Lystra, the city of Lystra, Acts chapter number 14, Paul is on his first missionary journey. He goes to a city called Lystra and he goes there and they preach this message. And the Bible says that these people start like worshiping him. Him and Barnabas. And he says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We're just, we're men like you. We're men like you. Like there's nothing special about us. And he keeps preaching. He spends some more time there. And the Bible says that he's, obviously opposition came. And the Bible says that people, uh, that, that, that people got so upset with what Paul was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, that they stoned him so bad that they thought he died. You remember that story? They drug him out of the town. And I ask you what happens like three verses later. There's a summarized, there's a summary about Paul. They, Paul gets up and he kind of shakes the dust off and they go, they preach. But then what happens? He comes back to Lystra. Like that's mind blowing. Why would you go back to Lystra? That's what I'm thinking when I'm reading this. Paul, you're going back to, they just got done stoning you. You might want to like put a helmet on and get a shield. But you know what? Fear, God, I'm sorry. Paul did not let fear lead him. I know this is easy to say, but Paul let God lead him. God says, Paul, I'm not done in Lystra. Don't be afraid. Paul, you're in Corinth. There's opposition, there's persecution. Don't be afraid. Hey, and when God says, don't be fearful, I don't think we need to be fearful, right? And by the way, can I say this? 
the, the, you know, how do I work this out practically in my life? Don't be afraid. That's easy to say. I'm afraid of snakes. If, if my brother said, Dave, don't be afraid. We go rattlesnake hunting all the time. Uh, I wasn't planning on saying this, but we go rattlesnake hunting. He talked me, I'm, I'm scared of black gardener snakes, like little ones, I'm running. Night crawlers are iffy, like I'm scared. And he talked me into a couple years ago going rattlesnake hunting. And I'm like, no, like, no, I'm not going. And sooner I can get talked into a lot of things. That's probably not a good thing to say. But I was like, all right, you know, I feel bad. I'll go rattlesnake hunting with you. So I went rattlesnake hunting. And as we were driving to the location, uh, snake farm is what I was thinking. Like, this is like fear factor was coming to my mind. They were going to dump snakes on me. Ugh, I just got chills. But as we're driving there, I'm like, all right, so I get it. We're, we're going here. What happens if we get bit? Like, do we have anti-venom? Like something, like I watch movies. Do we tie something around our arm? He's like, no, no, no. He's like that. I read something uh, a couple weeks ago and they said that that actually make, that can make things worse if you do it wrong. And I'm like, okay, so what's the plan? He's like, the plan is just, you know, don't panic, just get to a hospital. I'm like, that's the plan? If I get bit by a rattlesnake, don't panic? Like keep your heart rate down? Like, no, like I, if you saw where we were, it was in the middle of no, there's no hospital around. Like it's hours away. Like I'm going to be fearful. I'm, no way I'm, I'm listening to that. So it's easy to say, Paul, don't be afraid. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm probably naturally going to be afraid. You know what I find comfort in though? On the, practic on the practical end of things, here's what I find comfort in. For God to say, don't be afraid. What's that mean? That means he knows what we're feeling. We have a God who, who knows things. Even when we don't express them, he knows our worries. He's aware of our concerns. Whatever season of life we're in, he knows our doubts and what we're hoping for. He knows these things. Like, I don't know about you, but that's a, that, that affects me deeply. Like that, draw, that makes me want to draw closer to God and just cling to my heavenly father that God, you know how I'm feeling. You know my fears, you know my concerns, you know my hopes. And I think that's what this was, was God telling Paul, hey, don't fear, Paul, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. And I think about what that did for Paul in these 18 months here in Corinth, knowing that, hey, I have a God that knows. He knows my concerns. He knows I'm not sleeping well at night. He knows I have hurt concerns. I've brought my doubts up to him. I've told him. I've told him I don't want to be here. You think about that truth. We have a God. How great is our God? We have a God that knows. We have a God that doesn't just know and doesn't care. We have a God who cares and knows. Like that's, that's powerful. He knows my concerns, knows my worries. The question isn't, does he know about my concerns and fears? Yes. The question is, what do I do with those? Am I actively bringing those to him? Saying, God, I can't carry these burdens. I'm laying them down. I'm going to be afraid. Paul, hey, I'm going to be afraid, God. I, there's persecution. This is real stuff. I'm going to be afraid. The question isn't, hey, does God know about this? No, the question is, do I bring this to him? He can handle it. He can handle our concerns. He might not answer it right away. He might not give us super, super clear clarity on it. 
But man, when you bring it to God, I promise you that changes just your everyday life. It, it just lets this load off when you're praying with God and saying, God, these, this, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. Sometimes God's the last person to know about that stuff, isn't he? We tell everybody else. We tell the guy in the drive-thru. We tell the guy putting our tires on. Maybe not, but God's sometimes the last person to know. And really he should be the first. Like, God, this, this isn't sitting well with me. Can you help me? Can you give me peace that passes the all understanding? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> be not afraid. I think, uh, what else was he saying? He says, hey, Paul, you're in this place for a purpose. I have you here. There's a purpose. Paul, be a mouthpiece. Paul, don't be afraid. But then he also says, Paul, be comforted. Be comforted. Look at it. Verse number 10. Speaking, he says, for I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. What's he saying? He's saying, Paul, I'm gonna comfort you. Paul, be comforted. Be comforted in me. Be comforted that I'm gonna protect you while you're here. That nobody's gonna hurt you, Paul. That nobody's gonna, no, nobody's gonna mess with you. Like I'm blocking for you, Paul. And I think sometimes like at first it's like, wait, why didn't God give this to him in other cities? Like in Lystra, he was stoned. Why didn't he say anything then? In Philippi, he was beaten and thrown in prison. Why didn't, why didn't God promise this then? And then I, I'm asking these questions. Literally, I'm asking these questions in my study and I'm reminded of this truth. Hey, don't let past experiences keep you from trusting what God is telling you today. Sometimes we let past experiences roll us, don't we? God, this didn't work last time. You didn't answer my prayer last time, God. God says, no, no, no. I'm telling you, I hear your prayers. Don't let past experiences, the, the, don't, don't let those uh, uh, keep you from praying. Don't, don't, don't let those keep you from trusting. You think about Proverbs chapter number three and five, or, or I'm sorry, uh, chapter number three, verses uh, five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean, on, on, lean not on thy own understanding. What's the Bible saying? The Bible's saying, trust God, not your own understanding or your own experiences. That he's trustworthy. That just because something happened in the past doesn't mean that you have this past to just, hey, this thing is not gonna work. And man, we miss things sometimes because God says, hey, trust me. Take what I'm giving you today and trust me. Trust that I'm with you. He, he says this, be comforted. I think what God was saying was, Paul, you're gonna be in Corinth, 18 months. You're gonna be in Corinth. I want you to be a mouthpiece. I want you to tell people. I want you to teach people. But Paul, here's the difference maker. I want you to be comforted. And how do, how, how do I want you to be comforted? I want you to be comforted in knowing the fact that my presence will make the difference. That you can be comforted because I'm there with you. That I'm there in Corinth. That I'm going to protect you. Hey, and what a game changer for us. It's God's presence that changes things. That makes being planted in a hospital for a season bearable. That makes being planted somewhere in some hurt and some pain where somebody hurt us or something, that makes that bearable. God is with me. God comforts me. He's my shepherd. God says, Paul, be comforted. Be comforted. Remember the great commission? Right, the Great Commission, every missions conference. 
Hey, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Then what did Jesus say? You know that last part? And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Hey, God's presence makes a difference in seasons. God's presence makes it easier to be where he has me, even if I don't wanna be where I'm at. It's God's presence that's gonna make the difference and dwelling on that and spending time with him saying, Lord, I'm not, I can't do this on my own. I don't wanna do it on my own. You gotta be with me. You gotta help me. Give me your peace. Give me your comfort. We commend Joseph sometimes because the Bible says, and the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And we're like, man, Joseph, good job. Or really it's God was with Joseph. It was God that people saw in Joseph's life. It was God's presence, that he had a close relationship with him that made the difference. That was God's presence that made the difference. That, where people around Joseph said, man, there's something different about him. Hey, you wanna bloom where you're planted, even in a difficult stage, then find comfort that you're not alone. Hey, and if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, hey, you don't have to be alone. Can I say that? You don't have to be alone. He offers his presence. He offers to give you the Holy Spirit when you put your faith in him. Literally God's spirit living inside you. What a comfort. God's presence was a difference maker. I'll end uh, with this. How, how do we bloom where God has planted us? Hey, whether we're planted in a desirable season or an undesirable season, realize God has a purpose for where you are. That's perspective changing. That changes everyday living. But while you're there, be a mouthpiece for him. Someone's got to tell Someone's got to talk. Someone's got to say something. Be a mouthpiece. Be not afraid. Hey, no, God knows your concerns. He knows your hurts. He knows, you, he, know, he knows your worries. Be comforted. Hey, I'm with you. I'll be with you. Daniel, you can go to the, you, you, you can go to the lion's den. I'll be with you. I'll end with this, uh, with this last thing. You put yourself in this, story for a second. Picture your, your Paul, just for, just for a moment. God just got done giving you this, this direct pointed vision. Paul, there's a purpose. I want you to stay here. Can I ask you, what do you think that did in Paul's life for the next 18 months? How do you think that affected his, his living? You hear this message from God. God says, hey, Paul, I need to tell you something while you're here. How do you think that affected? I, I can't help but think, man, that was a help. What confidence he had in those 18 months, knowing these truths that God knows his fears and his worries, that God can comfort him, that God wants him to speak. What confidence that gave him. What comfort and what, what just being at peace with where he was, even if he didn't want to be there. And the same is true for us. Hey, God's not given us a vision here, but we are able to look back into his word and say, what truths can we take away out of this? God comforts, God protects, God knows. Hey, I can't help but think that that would, made, that would have made Paul become more prayerful for the lost people around him. I hope that would be us. That knowing that we're here for a purpose that in this season of life, that probably made Paul more prayerful. 
That probably made him more aware of the purpose in that season. It probably made him more eager, eager and searchful for opportunities to share Christ. Man, that probably lit a fire unto him to say, I don't know how long I'm gonna be here, but I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna bloom where God's planted me. That there's eternity at stake, that there's people that, that need to hear Jesus. I can't help but think what that did for him. And I can't help but just hope what that would do in my life this week, just this week. Knowing that these truths are just as true today as they were back then. What a great God we have. What a great God we serve.